0: Well, we are going to be closing up in our series here called Singled In. We've been talking to those of you who are single and those of you who are uh, who have single members in your family, uh, especially considering that we are going to be talking about spiritual family in a very real sense. We all have single members in our family. And um, one of the things that I was thinking about as we talk about singleness and we talk about marriage and all these different pieces is a step back from it. And I thought about, you know, it's always one of those comparative things where I'm looking at myself and, and I'm looking at my my single friends and, you know, I'm married and I'm going like, you know, what, what are some of the things that make you so different? And there's not a lot, right? There's not a lot that makes you different from somebody who's single than if you're married. Probably the only biggest distinctive that I know is that I don't know too many single men who have sat down and watched the entire A&E seven part series of Pride and Prejudice. Any, anybody else out there done that? I mean, maybe I'm the only man on the planet. My wife loves that. And I, I've actually enjoy it I had to say that, but uh, Colin Firth it was great. Anyway, so one of my first introductions to Jane Austen was that seven-part um, seven series on um, Pride and Prejudice. And what was interesting about it was later we would uh, watch a, a movie called Becoming Jane. Anybody seen Becoming Jane? It's about Jane Austen becoming who she was. Jane Austen, um, who wrote Pride and Prejudice, was actually a single woman all of her life. In a time period in which marriage was considered um, something that you did practically and pragmatically for the sake of so Social status and the ability to have the money you needed for life, especially if you're a woman, you want to marry well off or well up in your uh, in the social status. But honestly, she was a woman who was uh, beyond her time, uh, an author when men, when female authors weren't really allowed. She wrote multiple volumes and kept her female name. And in that journey, as she wrote *Pride and Prejudice* and um, all the other ones out there, *Persuasion*, and some of the other ones that she has out there, she literally um, never married herself wound up wound up being single her entire life and in her desire of her books she wrote one important thing as she basically created in a very real sense the romantic genre uh, she she sat down and she said there will never be a, a character of mine that doesn't get what she what she desires and so if she desired a particular individual that person no matter how convoluted the plot would wind up with that person in the end the sad thing is that Jane never did herself and now millions of people sit around reading Jane Austen novels, um, excited about finding that other person and the way that her characters did, not realizing that she herself was writing from her own pain. And in fact, what's interesting about those novels is they began to do something that would lead into American culture in the mid, late, uh, late 1800s, 1900s, into the conversation that you married for love and not for social standing. And her, her works were some of those pieces that really pushed that out there to where you married and you love that person and you married for love. I mean, we all marry, we all think, oh, you got to marry for love. Nobody thinks that way outside of the Western culture after roughly around Jane Austen and beyond. And what's interesting about that is that in America, when we talk about relational priorities, we give the top slot to marriages. We give the top slot to spouses. We say, man, there's no more intimate relationship than a spouse, and yet what's interesting is if you go back into ancient history and you were to ask the question, what, what's the top slot? You would get a radically different response. In fact, it's that radically different response that that leads me back to reminding ourselves that our culture lives differently. We have this thing called the social clock. We've been talking about this where you need to be married at a certain time after you graduated, and then you need to have kids at a certain time. You need to make sure your kids graduate. And there's this kind of pressure that we create as we walk through the social clock and the social gateways. Now, that's, told, that's led us to step back and say, if you're single, to not fixate only on the social clock, but to put into your life some kingdom reminders. And uh, these are those kingdom reminders here, that deep relationship with God, a close community, clear calling, and a spiritual family. And we've talked about the first three, and now we're going to talk about spiritual family today. We're going to discuss a conversation of what a spiritual family means for you as single men and women, and ultimately what it should look like. But Really, this is, we have to focus on this because the culture is so different. In the past, it would have been a different conversation. See, in the ancient world, it wasn't marriage that held the top slot. In the ancient world, it was siblings. To put it in a different way, if you were to ask a parent, what, do you, what matters more to you, that your daughter or your son has a good marriage or that they have a, a, just a solid bond with their siblings? So you'd be good with your daughter having a really bad marriage but a really good connection to her sister. And our culture says, nah, probably not, right? Their culture said, yeah, totally. The, the sibling bond is far more important than the marriage bond because blood is thicker than water. And the concept in this ancient world was that if you were a sibling, it was the tightest thing you could ever have. And so brothers were best friends with their sisters. Sisters were best friends with their brothers. In fact, you would leave holidays to go connect with your brothers and sisters. And and there's just all this kind of interesting stuff. So this is the world Jesus grew up in. This is the world that Jesus was raised in, that his brothers were to be his tightest bond. His, His sisters were to be the ones that he protected. And so as he ventured out into the world in his ministry, he actually began to proclaim something different. He didn't say top slot began to ma- game, came to marriages, and he didn't say top slot came to siblings. Instead, Jesus actually declared that this top relational slot is the spiritual family. That there's a spiritual family, God's family, that comes above your marriage and above your siblings in the mind of Jesus. And we see this in Mark chapter 3. If you want to go there with me, it's found, it begins in verse 20. And what's interesting is that there's a typical set set up here. So Jesus has gone home and he, so he's, he's gone home. This is Capernaum, not home like Nazareth, but he's gone to Capernaum, his home base. And as he's there with Peter, a huge crowd has gathered. This is the place everybody's interested in seeing more of Jesus and connecting with Jesus. And so when he came home, the crowd gathered again and they could not even eat. They were so, so thick with people. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So his family shows up in town, says, bring us Jesus, where is he? And so some other events occur where it goes on, but suddenly we wind up where we address Jesus' family again. And later in verse um, Later in verse 32, it says, And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. In other words, you need to stop everything, because mom and brothers come above all other things, right? That's how the culture was. He should be like, Oh, I want to go hang out with my bros, man. They're my brothers. They're here. This is awesome. But it doesn't say that. Instead, what he says is, And Jesus answered him, Who are my mother and my brothers? This is radical. He says, And looking to those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says, it's not about my blood ties. It is about my spiritual ties. It isn't about who's my mom and who's my brother. It's about who are my spiritual brothers and sisters. And right here, he sets the priority, bar number one, above marriage, above all the family relationships, is the spiritual family. And he says, this is the key. And his sing, as he, Jesus is the single model. He already showed us this deep relationship with God, gives us value. He, he kind of, he, we saw that his calling and singleness were associated. He had a built-in community, but that built-in community was broader. He said, this group of friends of mine is my community, but beyond that is this group of men and women who obey the will of God. They are my family, and there's no closer bond than the family. And the spiritual family is the closest bond as he indicates it. And so what I want to do today is is back up and remind us that you and I, if you have followed Jesus, have become his brother and sister. In fact, Jesus, after his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection, the, the women are in the garden. He turns to them, he says to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brother's to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is the first instance where he literally calls the disciples my brothers. He had called them friends. He had described the church as brothers, but he never called these men my brothers until after he had risen from the dead, until he, after he had forgiven their sins, he had done the work of sacrifice on the cross, he had risen and given them new life. That then he turns to them and says, You're my brothers. What I want you to see and know is that if you're a single man or a single woman, you have the opportunity to have a great new fixation, a great new focus where the Jewish people believe their salvation came from their genealogy. Note all those crazy genealogies in in our Bibles. You get like all these long lines of names. They were fixated on those because that's where their salvation came from. Ours comes through whether or not you're connected to Jesus and your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what I want to tell you as single men and women, where you can get fixated oftentimes, and, I'm, and this is a, a very broad conversation, but oftentimes there are many men and women who are so fixated on, on not being married, the family they no longer have, or the family they would have had, or the family they wish they had, or maybe some of you moved away from your family because you moved out from another state, or you moved to Corona because it's cheaper to live out here than in Orange County, and there's a separation between your family. Or there are many people who are going to be gone to their Thanksgiving things because they have to go to another state. To go to them, there is this distance that has occurred in our families. And you may be sitting there feeling alone, feeling distant, not sure where to connect. And Jesus wants to remind you not to fixate on the family you don't have, but to fixate instead, to focus in on the spiritual family that you do have. And there's a broad spiritual family, a vast spiritual family that you and I have that's given to us from Jesus. And so I want to just tell you guys, you can gain greatly from a spiritual family, singles, especially. I need to talk about this because spiritual family or the thing that we call the church has kind of gone on the, like kind of been beat up. It's kind of been thrown out, kind of been told for many, many years. All you have to do is follow Jesus by yourself, sit in your room, do your quiet time, and you'll be good to go. You know, it's you and Jesus all the way, man, my Jesus, this stuff, that's deadly for a single. Because singles, if you start to just think you can follow Jesus on your own, it's going to lead you away from the spiritual family and a lot of great gains that you ought to have and Jesus intended you to have will be lost. Now, I want to lay out a couple of these real quickly. First and foremost is that, is that you can gain a sustained identity. This is, this is dramatic. You see, what's interesting for me is my last name is Harris. And I grew up, and I'm like, I'm a Harris. I loved it. And my dad began to reveal to me and told me a story one day. He said, listen, we're not Harrises." And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you're like a fourth-generation Harris, maybe a fifth-generation Harris. I don't quite remember how it works. But he says, look, your great-grandfather, he was adopted. He, um, as far as we know, there was a traveling salesman out there somewhere that, that met a nice little lady in a home. And uh, next thing we know, my great-grandfather was was on his way. And um, he, the last name of this traveling salesman, as far as we can tell, was named Brandon. Well, this young man was put up for adoption. He was adopted, and he didn't take his adopted mother's n- married name, but the maiden name, Harris. So we're not—I mean, that's a convoluted story to get your last name, Right. So I meet all these other Harrises in the world and I'm like, I'm not part of your clan. I have no idea what part of clan I am. My identity at that day was like a little shaken. Like I'm like, I'm a Harris. Well, I'm not really a Harris. That's kind of weird because my family gives me a central piece of my identity. When you have children or when you look at your parents or when you look at your grandparents, you start looking at your siblings, you start going like, huh, that's weird. They act like mom or they act like dad, or they act like Uncle Joe, or whatever it is. You wind up with this vast exchange, and identity is so found in your family. And yet, here's the thing. Jesus said that your family radically changes when you come to Christ. One night, he's talking to a man named Nicodemus. And in this conversation, he opens with this man who's part of the Sanhedrin, curious about Jesus' teachings. He just lays it on him. He tells him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, I can see, shaking his head, answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, getting into all the details of the text, in essence, Jesus says, in order to become part of the spiritual family of Jesus, in order to be one who is part of his kingdom, you have to be born again. You have to have a new birth. That the old identity factors of all the sins of your past, all the sins of your family, all the failures and all that bentness, you know, the alcoholism and the drug addictions and the and the proclivities of your parents and, your, and of your grandparents and all the stuff that's out there has come to a radical halting end as Jesus has now taken you and made you into a new person. Paul would say the old is gone. The new has come. Live in the new man. You are reborn. The old junk and the old attitudes and the old identity is closed. Now you're new in a new family and you indicate your lineage, not by who your dad's, 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 dad's last name wasn't, but who you're related to. In Jesus Christ, because you've been born into a new family, you've been made a brother and sister in a new family, and the spiritual family comes key in giving you your identity. This is critical as a single man or woman, because if you are going to try to do it on your own and leave the spiritual family, your identity will be picked up in something else. And classically, over and over, as, as young men and women, in starters, that's 18 to 30, walk out of youth groups and walk out of college groups and walk into the working world. They abandon the church. And in the loss of their spiritual family, they enter into an identity crisis. They don't know which way is true anymore. They start experimenting in new directions. That's why so many people ultimately wake up one day when they have children and they go, I need to get back to the church. But for those of you who are single, you vitally need the church to give you the identity that God has already granted to you. This is your family, as quirky and weird as it is. We're family. And you need each other to give you identity that you are a brother or sister in Christ, that this is the way that we live, that this is who we come to, that our father is God, that Jesus is our older brother who has given us the model way to live and he was a model single. You need this family. In fact, another gain that you need from the spiritual family is that you need, you need the gain of a moral strength and refuge. Let's just give a simple example of this. In the culture, a 40-year-old virgin, heck, a 30-year-old virgin, a 20-year-old virgin is considered weird. In the church, a 40-year-old virgin is considered the model. That's a very different thing. Tim Tebow's a joke to the culture. He's somebody we hold up in the church because we know and understand that chastity is a virtue and a value that's huge and what Jesus called us to. Now, obviously, the church we've gotten it wrong, right? We tell our children all the time, you know, save yourself for what? Amen. Marriage. Implying they'll get married. Now, what's that tell all of my all of my single brothers and sisters in the room that you just hold on, you'll you'll get to relieve that tension when you're married. But what if you don't get married? You see, this place needs to be a refuge because that's rough in a world saturated with sex and shoving it down your throat, just pouring pornography on every screen and every opportunity that surrounds us, this world is attempting to shout and scream, sex is free, easy, and available. Go ahead and do it. Now everybody's starting to go, this is really yucky and nobody's doing it. But as a single, you're sitting there overwhelmed with the pornography, overwhelmed with the crazy romance novel world and the dirty, junky movies that come out and all the garbage that they say is normal. It's in every sitcom. It's, in every, it's celebrated in every section. And how are you supposed to find a place that you're free? You can't come to church with your brothers and sisters and say, yeah, I'm chased, but man, this is hard. And to be quite honest, it sucks. They should be able to come and talk to one of us, pray with one of us, find each other, mourn with each other, find a mentor who gives them direction and care. That's what family's about. It's about finding the older or younger brother who you sit down with, you feel safe with, and you go, please help me. I'm drowning from porn. And we go, dude, I'll help you out. I'll be your accountability partner. Well, let's get some things going. And then that day when they're just like, I don't care anymore. I, don't want, I want to drown in it because this sucks. Where do they go? How do we lift them up? How do we love and encourage and empower? Because that's the gain that you, get, you should gain in a church. Not hushed whispers of like, oh my gosh, they said the word sex. What are we going to do? Wait till marriage. That's a great one. We'll say that. No. We need to encourage each other. You need to find a moral refuge. You need to find a place where you're actually honored. Where somebody you tell somebody, yeah, I've saved. I, haven't, I haven't gone there yet. I've been trying not to. And we go, Awesome! Praise God for you. We lift you up and we celebrate and we help and we care and we pray and we work. That's the gain from a spiritual family. That's a gain from refuge and strength. It's the opportunity to stand for Christ and know your brothers and sisters are going to stand with you, even if it means your job or your senatorial position if you're in a student senate or something like that. We need Christians who are willing to stand because we have the opportunity and a moral family that will back us up. And as singles, you have this strength that will also come. You'll gain a, a family to grow in, to mature in. And this is huge. I'm not saying you don't mature apart from a family. But one of the interesting, obvious realities is all of us had children. A lot of us had siblings, not all of us. But they say siblings are the number one thing that affects the way that you will act in society as you get older. Now, your parents set your moral base. Your siblings set your social standards. And as you kind of grow, you, you have these siblings and then your siblings. What do we do in our culture? We all move away from each other, right? Some cases, In some cases, you stay together. But most cases, people move away. They get in contact they, and they meet together on Thanksgiving. And you meet your family and you hang out with your family. You high-five. You're like, what you've been up to? This is awesome. See you next year. High-five or see you in a month for Christmas or whatever. But it's so much of our family has been split apart. But that doesn't mean that we're not given our family now to mature. And here's the thing. When you have a spiritual family, you're given a place to grow and develop. You're given a place to continue to hone and, and increase your moral strength. Now watch. James chapter 1, verse 2-3 through 3 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers. Somebody say, my brothers. My brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you... Who? You who? Say my brothers. Is this singular or plural? So when you, my brothers, meet various kind, uh, trials of various kinds, for you, my brothers, know that the testing of your faith, my brothers, produces steadfastness. This is a plural conversation. If you're single and you're wondering, how in the world am I getting through this mess I'm in? I'm struggling. I've got debt up to my eyeballs because I, I've got school loans and this thing. Or I've had this horrible divorce and I don't know where to turn. And you're wondering, how are you going to get through this trial? How is this going to be a joy to me? How am I going to have strength in this? The answer James says to my brothers is you do it together count it all joy, my brothers, not you, us together, when we bear up in trials together, when it's our trials together. This is a family verse. James over and over and over will send all of his messages to my brothers, my brothers, including my sisters, my brothers and sisters. And we can only count it joy and we can only come to where we produce steadfastness and ultimately that steadfastness produces perfection in our souls when we do it. Together in a spiritual family of brotherhood and sisterhood. And this is critical because too often we are taught you got to do it yourself, you got to make it your own way. That's a lie. It's an American individualistic lie. It is not part of the church. We've been saved not to ourselves, you and I have been saved to a spiritual family. We're to live in that family, not just forgiven of your sins and let go. You are forgiven of your sins and brought into a family that is fighting together, working together to be transformed into the one God. Who is Jesus Christ? Now, finally, you can one more thing you can gain when you when you keep that spiritual family. You gain a place for mutual support. Now, this is basically what I'm saying is this brings a feedback loop to all the other things we've been talking about. When you have uh, the spiritual family, you may not find a spouse in your spiritual family. Now, you should. I'm not saying go get married to somebody outside of the church. It's it's not the call to the Christian. We're to gain our spouse and, and be united to another Christian. Do not be unequally yoked. But what I'm saying is that in in all of Branch, you may not find your spouse. You may not find your spouse in the churches of Corona, but I guarantee if you stick with them and live with them like spiritual family, you will find confidants. You'll find advisors. You'll find men and women who are willing to step in and be friends and aid to you. And while you may not have a spouse, you have so much that you abandon when you don't include your life regularly in the spiritual family. And these things are a great gain and a great boon that I don't want you to miss out on because you assume, well, I got some friends. I got a small group. I don't need to be, I don't need to be amongst the family. I, I don't need to be a part of the larger church. You know, I've got my Bible. I got my Jesus, which I would say is the worst answer to all these things. But instead to know that you and I have a spiritual family together and that we're all part of that family, married and single together. Now, here's the thing. You can gain all these gains. You can have all the advisors and confidants and all these friends and aid. You can have that sustained identity, that moral strength and refuge. you can have all these things. Here's the problem. And I, and I hear it. The church doesn't act like a spiritual family anymore. Isn't that true? And I hate saying that now. don't you hate admitting it? Somewhere back there, we turned it into an institution. Somewhere back there, we began to practice things as a get-in, get-out, consumer kind of reality. And we have taught ourselves that individual Christianity works. Whatever you feel in your heart, go there. And this, and, and we've just turned the church into an irrelevant thing when actually what this was was family devotions. Once a week, family devotion and reunion and celebration of what Jesus has given us. And the church just doesn't act like a spiritual family. And I want to admit that even all the doesn't act like a spiritual family. I'm just going to give you the reason. I, I believe that in the last two weeks as we've done a single series and I set into a single series because I felt like our single brothers and sisters were having to translate over and over and over every sermon we were given. Because when I give an illustration, it was a family illustration or a marriage illustration or this or that. And they have to translate the illustrations. And some of you as marrieds in this series have come up to you and said, this has been really hard. I had to figure out how this all applies to me because I'm married. And I'm like, exactly. That's what I've been wanting you to have to do. Kind of put you in their seat for a series. So you had to do the translation. You had to figure out how this applies to married life. Uh, You're like, yeah, calling applies, but it's not the same way. And yeah, okay, these things apply. Here's the crazy thing. Our children's ministry regularly runs about 200 kids every weekend. It's about roughly 190 200, and sometimes upwards of 230 kids. It's a lot of children, right? During the single series, it's dropped 26 percent to 145. Because young families, as far as we can tell, have said, "I don't need singles. I don't need a single sermon." It's Thanksgiving. It's Veterans Day. We got good reasons not to be here anyway. Let's go hang out with our families. That's not the spiritual family. Now, I'm going to turn the tables real quick because there are many singles who have chosen not to come to church because it's a marriage series or because it's a series that they didn't feel applies to them. When we do this, we cease to act like the spiritual family and we become consumers in a culture. And if we're going to become a spiritual family as a church, if we're going to address this problem, the church doesn't act like a spiritual family, we need to do something. And what I want to call to us is to commit to being a spiritual family. Then there needs to be a commitment that several commitments we've got to make to each other. That's maybe Saturday night service. You guys are committing to each other as a place where you guys are going to connect and meet each other as an opportunity. Maybe it's a certain service on Sunday. Maybe it's as radical as coming to more than one service, but we'll get into that in a second. That's, you're like, you're going crazy, Pastor. Stop it. That's um. No, no, what I want to say is that there's several commitments I want to call us to. And this is to singles and marrieds together because singles, they need the spiritual family. Marriage, we need to be that spiritual family with all of you singles as one family. Then the first commitment we need to make then is to see every Christian as a family member, not as marrieds, not as singles, not as Republicans or Democrats, not as uh, you know, somebody who just came to Christ and somebody who's been in Christ for years, not as the pastor or the worship leader. And I just, you know, I, I watch nursery kids. No, we're all family members. We're brothers and sisters. Before we are anything else in Christ, we are brothers and sisters to each other. Notice how Paul teaches Timothy, his protege. He writes to him, he says, do not rebuke an older man but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Notice the familial feel there, that we care about each other as we would care about our own family members. I don't smack you older men for the things you're going no, I want to do. No, I want to encourage you like I'd encourage my dad. Well, at least I want to care for you like I'd care for my mom. My younger ladies and my peers, you're my sisters. Guys, you're my brothers. And I didn't have a brother. Now I got lots of them. We get to treat each other in a manner where we see each other as siblings, spiritual siblings, understanding that Jesus Christ has paid for us. He's reborn every single person here who's following Jesus. Every single one of you who has had that opportunity and has been transformed by Christ, you are a brother or sister, and this family is going to go on forever. That's enough time to eventually get to know everybody. You realize that? We can start with a little bit now. No, you're not going to get to know all your name, all your family members here. I've been tempted to actually have us all start wearing like, uh, hello, my name is stickers to church. Just because I'm sick and tired of like going, I don't remember your name and you guys aren't meeting each other because some of you are very scared because you don't know their name. And you're like, hi. Okay, I said hi to him. I'm going to sit down now. Yeah, It's like, if we're family, why don't we just get to know each other? Just smack a name on. Just because you're the, the family member who's new and we haven't met you before doesn't mean you're not a brother or a sister. And so we want to treat each other in that brother and sisterly mentality where we're connecting with each other. And guess what? Yes, I want to tell you something. That's awkward. You don't get to pick family. And sometimes that's strange. Just lean into it. Okay. We just came down from a from the, from the cabin where my sister and my wife's family, and they all got together. And so my older sister came and sat down. And apparently there was a great conversation that I was not a part of where she kind of shared the fact that I was a very awkward and weird person growing up to be around. And I'm thinking, I wish I had been there. I kind of want to know what I used to do. But it, it shows that, hey, sometimes you got awkward people. You just got to put up with them. And in time they grow up. <laughs> In my case, that's not necessarily true, but the, uh, my sister was able to just lay out this awkwardness and it helps people just go, oh yeah, that is an awkward thing. And that's okay. You're going to have awkward family members. It doesn't mean we should distance ourselves. In fact, it means, hey, maybe we should be a little bit more curious. Who are you? Why are you here? What's going on? Let's, I want to get to know you. Awkwardness isn't something to back away from. Remember, we want to love the stranger. We want to invite them into our lives. In fact, you're going to have issues in the church. You're going to have family issues. If we're going to commit to see each other as brothers and sisters, that doesn't mean we go, well, I don't like this anymore. They were mean to me. I'm going to another church. That's not what God gave you because that ought is still against you and your brother. In fact, Jesus would tell you, you can't even go worship at another church until you've made it right with your brother. You should drop your celebration, your worship, and go make it right with your brother before you ever sing another note. That's how serious Jesus was about it. In fact, he laid out instructions on how, as a family, we should deal with this in Matthew 18. He says, "'If your brother or sister sins, go show him his fault, and the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you've regained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you, so that a testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be established.'" So, his picture here: brother or sister sins, either against you or in some manner, and you care about them. You go and you say, "Hey, dude, I saw this. That's a problem. You know, you shouldn't do that." I'm okay doing this. Get out of my face. All right, I'll go get somebody else. Find another brother or sister come together, who saw the same thing. Sit down, talk to them, go through the process again. And as you begin to communicate with two or three others, and they still resist, then you listen to the. Then you go to the tell it to the church. No. Obviously, you don't stand in front of the church and say, Hey, everybody, John over here has been doing this. That's not what we're going to do. In our case, you take it to a pastor, an elder, and these kind of things. And and then we'll work with them. We'll treat each other um, to where we pray that they would turn back. And this is the whole process to get things right. There are sometimes stubborn, unrepentant brothers and sisters in the church who will not bend to to the will of Jesus. And we have a process for that. Sometimes there's just a fence and you just go to them and get it right. Make it up. We can't avoid being family. And if we make the commitment to see each Christian as a family member, we make the commitment that we'll solve these things. The second commitment then is that you and I need to commit to frequently gathering together. There's two terms here that work together. There's frequency and proximity. These two things have to be high in frequency and close in proximity. You need to gather together. Frequently, if you're going to be a family. A true family gathers frequently. At least in our culture, we can communicate more frequently with our families than we ever have in the past because of the internet, because of cell phones, these kind of things. And it's brought families back together a little bit who had separated due to jobs and distances. But to be honest, we need to have this thought in the church. Too often, we skip out. The average Christian goes to church nowadays once a month. They miss family devotions three to four times a month. And the commitment is that how can we get to know the family if we're not frequently gathering together? In Acts, we saw this. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. It's a lot of activities. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, had all things in common. They were sharing their goods, they were helping each other out. Somebody had a need, they were filling the need because they knew each other. They were near each other. In fact, it would say day by day they were meeting in homes and in the temple. That's frequent nearness. And we need to have this together where we're frequently near each other, frequently so we can get to know each other, so that there's not one side of the room that doesn't know the other side of the room. You know what I mean? It can get that bad in church, by the way, where this side knows everybody around them, and this side doesn't know anybody on that side. And we're so fast to leave and get out. We don't stay a while. We don't stop. Saturday is one of the things we really are encouraging. You guys stop and stay a while. It was awesome to have pie with a bunch of you the other night or last week. This time we still got all our games and stuff out there. Why? Because we want you to stop. How can you get to know each other if you're in and you're out? Got my family devotion. Don't need the family. Off we go. We need each other. We need to be connected to each other so we can help each other, have things in common together. In fact, the author of Hebrews said this, we don't want to neglect to meet together as the habit of some, but encourage one another. And the more as you see the day drawing near, for this he had just finished saying, you know, consider how to build one another up into love and good deeds. You want to push each other forward. You can't do that if you're neglecting to meet, he's stating. And so we need to have this, guys. And I, trust me, this is so critical. I, I'm, one, I'm, a, I'm a weird bird in the sense that I love, love being in at church with the Christian family, which is with each other. I love singing songs. I love hearing sermons. I love hanging out. I love talking to people. And yes, I'm an introvert, but there is a deep-seated love. I, it's, I just need God that much, and I need him in my brothers and sisters that much. That even when I'm on vacation, My family, we will try to find somewhere that we are around the brothers and sisters in Christ. Because to me, it's just, it's vital to connect with family. And it's awesome to sit in Thailand on a Sunday morning and sitting around in a language I don't understand. But hearing worship songs being sung by brothers and sisters who believe in the same Jesus and have been reborn by the same work that I have. Then you miss out when you're on vacation. You don't realize the family of God spreads all over this nation and all over this world. And what an opportunity. And I'm an introvert, right? I don't, I'm like, I need my me time. But man, there's something about having a family devotion. There's something about the gathering together that is so amazing and so fulfilling as we draw near together. And I think it's partially because I have a family that's kind of spread. When my mom died, it's kind of we kind of went all, did our own things. When, we, when I became a Christian, we were already kind of struggling as a family. And there was something about the spiritual family that just filled that void for me. As I suddenly realized, wow, wow, I got a family that I got to see every week and several times during the week. And I was, I was at church all the time. Some of you are young Christians. and You're like, yeah, I love it. Want to be at church all the time. We need this more, but I get it. We're a spread out, broken community, right? We're coming from all over the place to gather as a family. And how can we gather more often? That's like going to be difficult. One of the things we're talking about is we, and we're in, and we're asking for is that we're, we're asking for us to start something called hangouts. We realize there's small groups and you guys are meeting together to go deep. And this is with your community, a group of friends, people that you know, so you can go into that deeper level. But what about just the general social family stuff? We're here together. We spend some time together and we, yeah, we leave. But what about the people that live right in your area. There, do you know there are olive branchers right in your area? There are Christians right around you? What we've done is, at our house, we, we tried to launch something you know, um, through the ministries. There have been two, three of them that have happened, and one of them has done it twice. Ours has gone once. It was really cool. An idea that had come out, and we, we call them hangouts. What we're trying to do is just say, if you live in a certain geographical area, and I live out in Sycamore Creek, we invited everybody in Sycamore Creek and like one community over to come over. Just come to our house. It was so cool. About 50 of us gathered together. We got to meet our neighbors. People we didn't even know were our neighbors. Got to hang out with them, talk to them. Suddenly it was like family right in the community. Now, I'd love to do it again. The problem is putting in that kind of commitment's difficult. What you need in any old family is honestly a matriarch or a patriarch. You know what I'm talking about? There's always that grandma or that grandpa that's like, you're all coming to my house for Christmas. And everybody's like, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. You know, they're right, they all gathered. What we need is like a matriarch, a patriarch, a gatherer in every local community. We have kind of got our church divided up and call it parishes or whatever you want to call it. But I mean, the ancient church had this right. They would divide you up into smaller local units so you could meet together and connect with each other. Yes, we all gather in big family, but there's times and opportunities like, oh no, one more thing. No, just another opportunity. And it's not often, it's just like once a quarter, sometimes once a month, depending on what the frequency of your group is. But if, you, if God is calling you into something like this, if that's something that interests you because you know the church needs to be a better family and you think, man, I could do that. I could open my home or I could at least pull a Facebook team group together with all the people in the area. I would love for you guys to let us know, and you're going to use this green card. It's called Next Steps. You just grab it. You put your name on it. You put your email or a way to contact you by phone, and then the the most important thing is you mark other after giving us a contact and just write hangouts. If you're interested in helping us see this launch so that the the church can become more of a family, write that in there. That's a huge deal for us, and that's We can't commit to gathering together in the way that we can fulfill this next piece if we don't have those because the next piece is what really makes family. And that is a commitment to care for each other like a family. We can gather together, high-five each other, get to know each other's stories. But if we can't meet each other's needs, we're not being a family. Jesus, in fact, put it this way. He tells the story of when the son of man comes and he sits upon his throne, he will have all of the nations before him. And he will put the sheep on his his right and the goats on his left. Sorry, guys. So talk to the sheep. Um, As he puts the sheep there... He says this to them. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Who does this kind of stuff? Family? Family? Last time I checked, it's families that are calling prisons to say, can I talk to so-and-so because they're family? Who shows up when the single person is sick in the home? To be quite honest, often family. Imagine if you're single and you're living by yourself and you're sick with the flu. Who's bringing you chicken soup? Who's showing up to help get your laundry done while you're laid up for a week? This really helps us to realize, guys, we got to be integrated. My married brothers and sisters, how many single brothers and sisters do you have connected to you? So that if they were sick, you could help them out. My single brothers and sisters, how many of you are connected to a married family? So that if that marriage is beginning to fall apart, you could offer up the opportunity. I'll watch your kids because I care more about your marriage than me playing a video game or. Me going to this place or be hanging out at the singles group tonight. When we sacrifice for each other, when the married family's willing to go, you know, we were better than us just hanging out another day, like staring at each other, playing games in our home. That's what happens for us. We're gonna come over and hang out with you because it's your birthday and we realize your family's gone. We want to celebrate with you. You graduated and everybody else is out of state. We want to celebrate with you. Where are we connected? This is the needs we meet. These are the connections we make. When you're thirsty, when you were a stranger, when you was naked, see what? You go, "Well, this has nothing to do with family, Greg. This is the stuff to do with just what the church is supposed to do for everybody in the world, right? Not really. The last line, after they go, "Well, where did we see you do this and that and this and that?" And the king will answer them, "I tell you the truth. Just as you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, which I believe is the right translation. Is not the least of these random things, brothers. It is the least of my brothers and sisters. When you do it for those who are your brothers and sisters in the church, you do it for Jesus. When you help a brother or sister in the church, you are sacrificing your time to care for your brother or sister as your older brother sacrificed his life to care for you and for me. The very core and essence of the church in caring for each other is a willingness to sacrifice my wants and time in order to care for somebody else in a particular situation because that's what Jesus has done for us. This is a family passage about caring for the brothers and the sisters. And it starts with God's family, it's to God's family, our family, and then the world. That's the model of the ministry of Jesus. And when we do this, we begin to build this integrated family. And you know what? When that happens, we begin to see something. The world is lost. Why can the world ignore the church? Why can the world think that "Ah, it's it's not needed? Why can Christians not feel like they need the church? Because we missed out on the core aspect of the church is a spiritual family. And when we do that, when we don't act like a family, we miss out on the greatest apologetic. Notice what Jesus says in John 13. He says, I give you a new commandment. To love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Note, no, no doubt this. Everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The greatest apologetic Jesus ever gave us is not the Kalam cosmological argument. It's not some ontological argument. It's not some proof from prophecies and the other things. Those are all great. The greatest apologetic Jesus laid in our lap was if we love one another, they will know you are my disciples. And we treat one another like family, unheard of in a world that's self-centered and fixated on the self, and amazing to a world that's individualistic, when we come together as a family, the people go, that's what I need. The lonely rise up, they step into the church and they seek out those who would love them, not because of their success, not because they're married or single, not because they're anything but made new, by Jesus Christ. And they're our brothers and our sisters. We need a spiritual family. Singles, you need it and we need to be it for each other. Amen? Let's make these commitments to not just come and go, not just rush in and out, but to spend time as family and to be family. Would you your heads with me? You may be here today and you may be single. You may be married. You may you may be in any position in life that... But, but I can almost guarantee that there's a loneliness factor going on for you. When you came to church to get rid of a little bit of that loneliness, just connect with some people. Can I, I offer you an opportunity to join a family? Maybe your family's long gone. It's been... Years since you've seen them or you've been estranged or perhaps you're even in a situation where they're, they're dead. And today you've heard about a spiritual family, a family that gives a new identity, a family that enables you to stand firm in, a, in sets of morals and commitments. And maybe you're just thinking, I'd just like to have a place that I'm loved and that would meet my needs and help me. And I could do the same. Well, God has produced that family. He made that family and he wants to invite you into it. But to be a part of his family, you have to be born again. You have to be remade by God and transformed. Maybe today you're asking yourself, how do I do that? How do I be made new? How do I get transformed by God? The answer came as Jesus said it later. He said, God loved the world. That means he loved you and he loved me so much that he gave his only son that if you would believe in what he did and his death on the cross and his resurrection, that he bore your sins and all of the mess that we've done, that if you would believe and trust in him, you would have everlasting life. And that's including an everlasting family. And maybe tonight is the night that you need to be transformed and made new. You need to receive what Jesus Christ did. You don't earn it you know, clean it up, yourself up and and do a bunch of good. What you do is you just simply receive the gift that Jesus Christ has given you. The gift of an eternal family, the forgiveness of sins, that God becomes not this man in the sky, becomes your dad who loves you. And you inherit brothers and sisters in the millions. That's what you need tonight you need to be transformed, then you just need to trust him. And this is the opportunity to do that. If you'd like to do that, would you just put your hand up? You're saying, that's me. I need to trust him tonight to, to become part of this family, be transformed. And if you're here, and just put your hand up and just let me know. I'd like to walk you through a prayer. Well, Father, I just thank you then that we are together here as family in these devotions. I pray that you'd help us then to make these commitments. God, commitments that we make to each other. Commitments we make to you. Lord, right now, if for all the marrieds in the room, I pray that you would help us to commit to our single brothers and sisters, to bring them into our life, to include them and love them as our brothers and sisters. And God, I just ask that you would put on the hearts of all of our single brothers and sisters tonight to include marrieds and each other as well into their lives, that we would be a family. Lead us, we pray now, because you've given us your love to live in it as a family. In Jesus' name, amen.